been uh, looking at various topics on the family um, during this month. I, I want to do that again tonight. I want to like to bring a a message to uh, husbands, or maybe I should say for husbands. It's really to everybody. Um, and so we know as we think about the roles that the Lord lays out for husbands and wives, roles and responsibilities, um, wives in Ephesians and in Colossians um, called to submit to their husbands, and then husbands in five, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands are instructed to, to love their wives the way that Christ loved the church. And there's a lot that could be said about that. There's a lot that can be unpacked in that. Um, to say the very least, husbands have been given a very, very, very tall order in the way that we've been called to live with and um, love and lead our wives. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to um, bring this message and address this topic uh, for husbands is because husbands, we are... Uh, the ones who God holds responsible when it comes to leading our household. Um, it, it can be overwhelming at times. There can be times where it even seems uh, maybe unfair. But um, in the middle of all of that, and I'm not talking about because your wife is just so difficult. I just mean because life can be so difficult. But when we get down to the... Uh, uh, to the reality of what God has called us to do. Husbands, we've been called to lead. And first and foremost, our responsibility in leading as it relates to loving our wives as Christ loved the church is that we are to uh, lead and love our, our wives. Um, I want to think about this in light of uh, John chapter 10, at least use John chapter 10 as a the springboard to get to where we're going. In John chapter 10, in verse, two verses, verses 11 and 14, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You're familiar with that phrase. You know that Jesus says that about himself, and probably you know that shows up in John 10. That's a phrase that Jesus uses that is a relational metaphor that describes the way God and his people uh, function. It describes the relationship that God has toward his people. And it's a metaphor that runs throughout Scripture, whether we're in the Old Testament or the New. And really the most notable place that we find this um, is in Psalm 23. You'll be familiar with that, very familiar passage. And um, if you've been here for uh, many years, you know that we've spent some time there. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to, I want to go back to Psalm 23 and I want to work through it as a model for husbands as we seek to shepherd our wives in some of the more difficult seasons of life. So... Um, this is going to be um, this is going to be uh, wisdom principles that we can apply that we will need to apply. You'll you'll see very quickly at how applicable this is, and um, this is typically not uh, the kind of thing that we uh, talk about 
or that we even try to equip people for when we're thinking about marriage. But if you've been married very long, uh, husbands, you're going to find yourselves in probably every single one of these scenarios and in need of, or at least think of a time in your life where you were in need of um, any of these six principles. So let's go to Psalm 23. We're thinking about loving our wives the way that Christ loved the church. And we're specifically going to think about that in relation to the way he shepherds his people. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we look at this psalm, one of the things that becomes obvious and should be said on the outset is that you uh, you and I, as, as, as husbands, we cannot... Um, replace Christ in our marriage. In other words, you've never been called to be uh, the, the exact same kind of shepherd that functions and meets the exact same needs as Jesus Christ does in your marriage. But what you have been called to do is Ephesians chapter 5, 1, even before you get to 5.25, you've been called to be an imitator of God as dear children. And then when you think about that in light of loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church, then the flock of Psalm 23 would be the church and the shepherd would be Christ. And so we want to get six principles here that we distill from these uh, six verses. So number one, out of verse one, and each of these are going to correspond, the numbers will correspond with the verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, you know this already about a shepherd, but a shepherd's job is to care for his sheep. Um, that's his only job. Uh, the, 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 the phrase here, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, speaks to the fact that he is a good shepherd. I shall not be in want, or really, I've, uh, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing is the way that could be translated. It's a more clear translation than our modern vernacular. It, it speaks to the fact that God is in the business of meeting our needs. Now, there's a difference in saying God is in the business of meeting our needs and God is the bellboy of our desires. Those are not the same thing. The Lord knows what we need as we need it. And just as Paul was confident, we can be confident that the Lord will supply our every need in Christ Jesus. And by that, we mean both spiritually and physically. So one of the realities that we can, and we're going to be skimming because we've got six verses to get to, but one of the realities that we can draw out of this Psalm 23, 1 is that if you need it, then the Lord has provided it or He is in the process of providing it for you. And so what goes into something like that? Um, 
What goes into God meeting our needs, to God shepherding His sheep and shepherding His sheep well? I mean, we can all probably tonight talk about some current needs that we have, or at least some current needs that we think we have, and uh, we may be uncertain as to how those things might play out. And at the same time, we could all go back and talk about God's miraculous provisions. And by that, I don't mean he was doing magic tricks. I just mean he was providing in ways we could have never imagined for needs that maybe we didn't even know that we had. And he was delivering us, or he has delivered us, through some impossible situations. And so um, one of the things that goes into this is that this is a very uh, personal psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice he doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He could have said that, but that's not what he says. The Lord is my shepherd and he is meeting my needs. What that means is, is that God is a shepherd that customizes his care for his sheep. Now, we're not stretching it to say that. Look in John chapter 10 again. John chapter 10 In verse 14, he says, this is Jesus uh, speaking, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of my sheep. The word, really the phrase I'm after is that first, and I know my sheep. The word there for know, you know this already, is a word, a Greek word, gnosko, that talks about... um, personal knowledge, intimate knowledge. There's an intimate acquaintance that Jesus Christ has with each and every one of his sheep. And so Jesus's understanding of his sheep is part of what. Now, at this point, we're talking about we're talking in human terms, but is part of what informs the way he cares for his sheep. You know that that God doesn't give you tomorrow's grace today because he knows what you need today. And it may not be what you need tomorrow. All of that's based on understanding and knowledge. It's based on, on an informed care. And we can easily draw a line from John 10 to 1 Peter 3, 7 where husbands are commanded to dwell with your wives according to knowledge or dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is one that we do. This is just a fundamental part of and fundamental responsibility of what it means to uh, uh, be called to be a husband or to fulfill your your role as a husband. Uh, You're called to understand your wife, to understand um, um, her desires, her wants, her um, needs, the way she thinks, and a bunch of other things. You're, you're called to study your wife and to know her in a way that would probably exceed the way you know anyone else. So husbands in this First Peter 5, 7 passage, we really are called to be lifelong students of our wife. I can't remember now, I think maybe it was Sunday or maybe it was last Wednesday, but uh, as Brother Davis was talking about uh, his relationship with Sister Ann, he talked about the fact that things change, and that's true. What you know about your wife from last year may not be true this year. 
And so what this does is it puts this area as, of being a husband and leading and shepherding your wife, it puts us in the area of wisdom. Which means what might be appropriate today might not be appropriate next year or next month. Okay, you're you're not working off of a formulaic wooden um, command type thing where you know this will always be the case. So if I were to, you know, if you were to ask the question, should we be in church every Sunday unless providentially hindered? That's easy. The answer is yes. Now, if you were to ask the question, should I respond to my wife by fill in the blank every time she seems upset? The answer is no. Because it takes wisdom to discern what she upset about. And then what is the best way for you to minister to her in that? What's the best way for you to respond to her in that? Do you need to leave her alone and give her a few minutes and let her calm down? Do you need to talk to her? Well, she's your wife. You're going to have to figure it out because your wife doesn't work the way my wife works. You see what I'm saying? Now, for people who don't like wisdom, this is not the most encouraging message. Okay? Because we like those, give me the bullet points, you know, give me the cliff notes, give me the cheat sheet, and the cheat sheet is all wrapped up in your wife. She is an individual that God has made and has called you to learn and to study, as it were. So you have to know and you have to understand and you have to be mindful of your wife if you would shepherd her and lead her and love her the way that Christ loves the church. You know, one of the ways that we can do this, and, and uh, I don't want to get bogged down for time's sake, but one of the ways we can do this at a 1 Peter um, 5, 7, where we're called to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Isn't it a, it is a comforting reality. It's an inviting reality to know that Jesus Christ has a concern for the things that we're concerned about. And that, that's, a, that's a beautiful reality. The word for care, He cares for you, that word uh, translated kind of in its fullest as far as the definition goes, it means that Jesus is interested in your cares. It means that Jesus is concerned and it means that Jesus is attentive to us as we struggle through life's trials. If we were to go to Hebrews chapter 4, we see that as the sympathetic Savior stands ready to help and give grace and mercy in our time of need. So what would it mean, husbands, for us to take that and to apply that to the way that we shepherd our wives? Well, we don't have to guess because Philippians 2 tells us that we shouldn't just look on our own things, but we should look on the things of others as well. That we should make other people, uh, we should esteem other people and other people's interests higher than we esteem our own. That sounds a whole lot like cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Okay, it's this, it's this uh, discipline, it's this um, disposition where we want to make our wives' concerns, our wives' interest, our interest. Now, that doesn't mean that their hobbies become our hobbies or that we're just as enamored with everything that they are. 
What it does mean is we don't live two separate lives where I have my things that I enjoy doing and she has her things that she enjoys doing. And every now and then we meet in the middle. But for the most part, we're two people living solo lives with solo interests. It's going to be very difficult as we move down. It's going to be very difficult to to love our wives the way that, I say difficult, impossible for us to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, to be able to engage with them the way that Christ engages with the church if we're not concerned with the things that they're concerned with, if we're not interested in them. So again, this is a uh, this is a, a challenge, but it's a challenge that we would have to take up and a challenge that we would have to uh, throw ourselves into if we would love our wives and shepherd our wives the way that Christ shepherds the church. So I have no unmet needs because Christ knows my needs. He's interested in those needs and he's attentively trying to meet those needs. That's the kind of husband we're called to be as we're called to mimic Christ's love. Second, look in Psalm 23, verse 2. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. I'm sorry, verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This is, a, this is imagery Um, that the shepherd is doing everything necessary to facilitate peace and rest in a world that could be full and is full of anxieties. When does a a sheep sit down or lie down? Well, it's not while it's eating. Sheep eat standing up. Sheep lie, lie down when they're satisfied, when they're resting after the meal. After they've eaten, their digestive system begins to kick in and they begin to do what they do. But it's not while they're eating, it's while they're resting that they lie down. As far as being led beside still waters, you know this already, but sheep are fearful. Um, Sheep will not drink if things aren't peaceful, if things aren't calm. And so... This attribute of God's shepherding or this level of God's shepherding is is an area where God is facilitating peace and rest for his people in a world full of anxieties. Husbands, you know that big picture wise, you're responsible for the tone that's set in your house. You really are. You are going to set the tone in your house whether you like it or not, whether you intend to do it or not, whether you're actively trying to do it or not. If you have been called to lead, then the tone of your house is going to be set either by what you do or what you don't do. And so uh, you remember this in Ruth chapter 1. You can jot it down. I'm not going to turn there. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 9 Naomi's prayer for her two daughters-in-law as she's trying to send them away is that they would find rest in the house of their husbands. The word rest there means comfort, consolation, quietness, peace. This is a really a beautiful prayer. When we think about how this connects to God and uh, His sheep finding rest and peace, the application's 
pretty clear. God's people find peace and rest in His faithful character and promises. Isaiah 26.3, You shall keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. The peace of God will guard our hearts whenever we, whenever we go to him in prayer and in thanksgiving and we're taking our cares to him. And why is it that it works that way? Because he's faithful. How could you have peace? How could you rest in a God that you were completely uncertain about? If God was up one day and down the next, there's no peace there. There's no stability there. And so God's people find rest and comfort and peace in God's character. And so one of the questions, husbands, we ought to be asking ourselves, again, we're not exalting ourselves to the place of Jesus, but this principle would apply. Husbands, does your character produce peace or anxiety in your wife? Can she trust your motives when you're making a decision to lead the family or to lead her? Can she trust that you're not just trying to choose the easy way out, that you're not just trying to choose what you prefer, that you have everybody's well-being in mind? Can she trust that you're going to be faithful to what you say? Now, all of us have to kind of cringe here. We've all got those projects that we've been promising to do for five years that still haven't been done. Those can be kind of tongue-in-cheek, although they can lead to a little bit of bitterness there. But in, the, in, in, in some of the other areas, in some of the more serious areas, can when there are things that need to be addressed, when there are decisions that need to be made, can, can your wife trust that you're going to step up and make those? That you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Can she trust that whenever you make a decision, it's going to be based on God's Word or... Or are you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants? Can she trust that you're going to tackle and address the difficult issues in life that aren't fun to deal with? Or are you going to drop those off in her lap and let her do that all by herself? These are just four, uh, four questions. And I would say that these four questions are a pretty accurate representation of what wives who have anxiety induced by their husband's character are experiencing. Inconsistencies, not being able to trust motives, having things dumped in their laps that the husbands ought to be tackling, not being able to trust the decisions that are made that they're going to be based on the word and that they're going to have everybody's best interest in mind. Well, a Psalm 23 husband, shepherd, is going to be a husband who is seeking to um, facilitate peace and rest. Now, there are other areas, and we're going to talk about what it means to minister God's Word and those kinds of things, but from this one principle, we're talking about the faithfulness of your character. I'm not talking about flawless character, but I am talking about a predictable, consistent character. You know, God wants you husbands to be faithful. Sometimes we forget about that. I don't mean as husbands, I just mean as Christians in general. Faithfulness is a pretty high priority in God's mind. And faithfulness has to do with your character, and it is a blessing to your wife. And it's a necessity if we would love our wives the way Christ loved the church. 
Number three, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, obviously, you can't convert your wife as far as restoring her soul. But you know you can have a sanctifying effect on your wife. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Paul makes the argument that a believer that's married to a non-believer in some kind of way can have a sanctifying effect on that non-believing spouse. And so husbands, we should not, be, uh, we should not uh, turn a blind eye to the fact that our, the way that we lead can have a sanctifying effect on our wives. We ought to be seeking to lead in the paths of righteousness. Lead in paths of righteousness. So that means at least, number one, we have to know what that path looks like. And so husbands, we have to be students of God's Word. We have to know what the Word says. You cannot, you will not lead in paths of righteousness if you have no idea what righteousness is in any given scenario. Now that doesn't mean you have to master the Bible before tomorrow, but it does mean you're seeking to grow in your understanding of the Word. Where you don't know, you're seeking to get wisdom through maybe men that you know, maybe your pastor or other men that you know who are committed to Scripture. Maybe there are sermons out there to listen to on a particular topic. Maybe there is biblical literature that addresses a particular topic. But whatever it is, God calls us husbands to lead and we are to lead our wives in paths of righteousness. Number one, when we think about how this is done, husbands, we have to lead by example first and foremost. Sometimes husbands get the idea that God has called them to be the family preacher. That's not the case. Your job is not to stand behind your wife and drive her with the word. Your job is to get out front and lead by example. In Matthew chapter 23, 1-4, Jesus talks about the Pharisees who bind these heavy burdens upon the people and they won't even lift a pinky to try to take any of those burdens upon themselves. We want to lead by example. Secondly, we want to lead by praying through specific issues together. Praying through specific issues together. James chapter 1, verse 6 says, if we lack wisdom, then we should ask God. And brothers, as we seek to lead, we need to make sure that our wives and our families understand that we lead as we are being led. We're not just charting our own course. We're seeking wisdom from Scripture. We're seeking wisdom from above. And we're doing that together. Third, we mentioned this before, but as we're leading, not only are we trying to lead by example, not only are we praying together with our wives about specific issues, but third, we're trying to learn and grow in our ability to use Scripture to shed light on the specific areas of life that we're facing. We want to know what God says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that the Scriptures are useful. They're meant to be used. It's not just a devotional. It's not just something that is meant to give you warm fuzzies. It's something that's meant to guide you, to lead you, to equip you, to convict you, to teach you. And so we ought to be busy in uh, applying ourselves in this area. And like I said, if we come across an area where we're unsure, 
then there are other places and other resources that can be helpful from a biblical perspective. So leading, leading in paths of righteousness. Next, Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, my staff, they comfort me. Number four, this, this is a challenge. Um, this is a challenge. I, I don't know that, that it would ever be easy, but it's walking with our wives through difficult seasons of life. You're going to go through difficult seasons, and you're going to go through difficult seasons that you have absolutely no power to change or control. You're going to go through seasons to where you're both hurting, or maybe you're going through a season where she's devastated over something. You're kind of affected, but not as much as she is. You can't change it, and you have no idea what to do. Let Psalm 23.4 help guide you in that. Walk with your wife all the way through the difficult season. What does that mean? Well, part of it is just the, it's been called the ministry of, of presence. Just, just being there. I'm with you. I will fear no evil because thou art with me. How many times in Scripture does God come along and the one thing He says is, I'm with you. I'm with you. Fear not. Why? Because I'm with you. So what does that mean? Well, it means I'm not avoiding you or I'm not ignoring you. You know, unfortunately, husbands, we can become very, very good at that whenever we feel insecure about our ability to do something in a situation that's way over our head. We know that our wives are suffering. We know that they're hurting. But we just don't say anything because we don't know what to say. And we don't want to admit that we don't know what to say. And so we avoid and we ignore I'm not trying to fix or fast track anything as far as getting someone, getting your wife through this difficult season faster than the Lord's leading. I can't, I can't do that. You know what I mean whenever I say that. Sometimes we go through difficult trials. This could really be a husband or a wife, but we're talking about husbands leading at this point. You know, difficult seasons, one of the, and I'm talking about seasons, not little episodes. One of the things that can be so um, so difficult about long seasons is you just get worn out. You just get worn out. You're hoping you'll get you'll, you're hoping maybe you'll wake up the next day and it'll be over. There'll be some kind of light that makes things a lot better. And many times that's just not the case. And when it's not. And, and again, we've come face to face with the fact that this is beyond my capacity and my ability to fix. What do we do? What do we do? Well, we let our wives know that they're not an annoyance to us and they're not on a, some sort of a performance-based relationship in the midst of a difficult season of life. And through patience and gentleness and humility and forbearance, we do our best to be present with them. John 13, 1 talks about Jesus' love for his people, and it says he loved them to the end. He endured all the way to the end. And husbands, as we're thinking about difficult seasons of life, 
we're, we're enduring all the way to the end. And so that means they're not receiving criticism from us. They're not being manipulated. We're not trying to uh, pack guilt on top of anything. In a positive sense, it means this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, uh, Jesus, it talks about Jesus being a, a sympathetic high priest, you know, one who is uh, not unable to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The word sympathetic there in the Greek, it means to suffer with or to share in the sufferings of another. Fellowship in the midst of suffering with your spouse just by being with them. Now, now you may say, uh, well, what do we talk about? Well, you may not talk about anything. You may talk about everything. But 1 Peter 3.7 is your key to know that. You need to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You need to understand your wife. There are some times where people are going to want to talk a lot, and there are some people that do like to talk a lot. You know, I think about the, the two women that I am closest to in my earthly life, my mother and my wife, and I don't know if they could be any more different if they tried. My mom loves to talk. My wife does not. I would approach them very different if I were trying to minister to them in a difficult season. So again, if it's the pat-answered bullet points we're looking for, we don't like this kind of a, you know, we don't like these kinds of scenarios. But I think most, if not all of you, could attest to the fact that you've gone through those difficult seasons of life where you've had very a very hard time just being present, just being sympathetic. Or maybe you didn't have a hard time at all, but you realized that's what was needed at the time. It may mean Philippians four chapter uh, uh, Philippians chapter four verse six that um, that you are praying for and with your wife on a regular basis. It may mean that rather than um, uh, if if you're trying to encourage her with the word, it may mean that you find a hymn that contains the same theological truths as the passage you think that might be helpful because a hymn is easier for her process at the time, or maybe it's more memorable. And again, we're just talking about specific creative ways to do this sort of a thing. But whatever it means, it means you don't sign up for a project that's going to keep you gone and unattentive for the next six months, hoping that by the time you're finished, she'll be out of it. Okay? It means you're going to be with her, and you're going to be present and you're going to be tender, and you're going to be kind, and you're going to be sympathetic. And you're going to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Fifth, Psalm 23, 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. This is a passage as far as the, the actual shepherd imagery goes. The, the table land was a place where a shepherd would go ahead of the sheep. Now prepares the table before me. Um, he would go before the sheep and uh, he would remove any obstacles. Um, 
if there were uh, stones in the path where the sheep might stumble or get his leg caught or, or, or if there were poisonous uh, shrubs or if there were uh, any sort of enemies that were around, they would be driven off and, and the land would be prepared. Really what this, what this imagery is all about is that even, even our enemies cannot keep us from God's blessings. You know, God knows how to bless us in even the worst of circumstances. God knows how to deal with our enemies in the worst of circumstances. He knows how to serve us. He knows how to feed us. He knows how to shepherd us, even in the face of our enemies. And so the principle here is husbands, us learning to serve our wives in times of discouragement and distress Serving our wives in times of discouragement, distress. Now, this is different than those difficult seasons of life. In these times of discouragement and distress, this could this is talking more along the lines of just being overwhelmed with everyday life. More along the lines of uh, 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 the more minor type things. So, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says that a friend is born for adversity. Think about how that, that passage might inform the way that we relate to our spouses in difficult times. A friend is born for the day of adversity. Now, this theme or this verse keeps coming up, but, but it's necessary. I'll say it again. 1 Peter 3 7 is going to determine how you serve your wife and her discouragements and her distresses. You know, it, it, maybe she needs a break. Husbands, if you're not in the in the uh, habit of giving your wife a break, if you have young children and you're not in the habit of giving your wife a break on a regular basis, that's something you ought to start doing today. She needs that. You get to determine and you can talk with her about how often. Maybe, maybe she needs a few minutes to catch her breath. Maybe she needs a few hours. Maybe she needs a day. I don't know. But if we're going to shepherd and serve in times of discouragement and distress, that might be an option. Secondly, maybe she needs some sleep. Do you know your wife well enough to know whenever she hasn't had the proper amount of sleep? When, when what she's struggling with and, and the, the discouragement and, and being overwhelmed is more due to the fact that she just physically needs rest rather than we need to have a long conversation that hashes this thing out. If not, through some conversation and observation, you can get to where you can figure that out. Um, maybe she needs some encouragement. Maybe she needs some encouragement. Some affirmation. Now that might start to sound a little bit secular, but how many times in Scripture does God affirm His love toward His children? A lot. Right? How many times in Scripture are we... Are we uh, encouraged and are we commanded to encourage one another? And so in times of discouragement, maybe that we need to bring some encouragement, some affirmation. Maybe, now buckle up for this one, husbands, because we don't tend to understand this. Maybe that you just simply need to listen and allow her to talk without interrupting and offering solutions. Maybe it's just that she's been around kids all day and she's ready for an adult ear to be able to run something by. I don't understand that. But I believe that that's what my wife needs sometimes. 
it could be that a collaborative discussion is necessary and, and there's, a, a, there's an issue that needs to be tackled, that needs to be discussed. Again, this is sometimes our wives can feel like they have all the major decisions or a lot of the big major decisions weighing on their shoulders all by themselves. And it may just be we need to have a collaborative discussion about how do we handle this? How do we move forward here or there? So in our wives' times of discouragement, husbands, we want to know them well enough to be able to shepherd them through. Which means the first thought, or at least the enduring thought, in our minds when we discover that our wife is discouraged doesn't need to be, oh man, I was looking forward to a nice, relaxing evening afternoon. That's not the way Christ loves His church. Now, we may have that thought, have to repent of it and move on, but we can't stay there. All right, lastly, again, we're just skipping over these things, but you can you could think and meditate on each of these points and really uh, press it into your own marriage. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here the psalmist is moving into an uncertain future with hope and certainty. Hope and certainty. Husbands, we said this starting out, but we'll end this way too. You are responsible for the tone of your house. And what I mean by that is, not that you're responsible to micromanage every single thought that everybody in your house has. But husbands, you set the tone. In a world that's full of sin and uncertainty, we are called to lead in hope. So that doesn't mean that we have to have bubbly personalities. It doesn't mean that we don't plan for legitimate concerns. But it does mean this. It does mean that the tone of our house, the tone of our disposition, is going to be affected far more by Scripture than NPR. And we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world that is falling to pieces. Scripture tells us that. Sometimes we get surprised by that. But brothers and sisters, we cannot, and maybe I should just say brothers, uh, it applies to sisters too, but brothers, as we, as, we tend to, as we try to lead our families, please, please set a hopeful disposition. We said this earlier uh, in an earlier message, but you realize that good churches are made up of good families. By good, I just mean faithful. And the tone or disposition of a church is simply going to reflect the tone and disposition of the families that are there. Do not lead your families in an Eeyore kind of way. Sin exists. Okay? Discouragement exists. America is not in good shape right now. But Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And you can expect that goodness and mercy is going to pursue you, hunt you down all the days of your life. 
And so, again, there are some things that we're going to acknowledge that are difficulties. There are some things that are disappointments that happen, but the overall tone of how we're leading is a hopeful tone because we believe that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ and we believe that He is actively involved in our lives and we are anticipating the day that He returns and takes us home to be with Him. Now, I say all that not to say you have to be thinking about all three of those things all the time. I say all that to say those three things are huge anchors that ought to affect your disposition. You don't like the president? Who cares? You know the king. You don't like the the the, uh, uh, the current economic climate? Well, that's going to have some effect on our conveniences and on our comforts. But brothers and sisters, you've been given an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that is reserved in heaven for you waiting to be revealed in the last day. And so one of the ways, husbands, that we can set a hopeful tone, again, is by having our mind on Scripture, of setting our, our heart on things that matter. And so we're, we're, we're striving to walk by faith and not by sight. It means that whenever we're discussing the world's chaos, we're also talking about God's faithfulness. So it doesn't mean that we never talk about what's happening. We do. But everything that's happening, you realize the life that we live is just an unfolding drama of redemption. That's the life you're living. Now, if you live life like it's the unfolding drama of the Democratic Party, or Republican Party for that matter, it won't be long to your Eeyore. It won't be long. But that's not the life you're living. You're living a life that is an unfolding drama of redemption where Jesus Christ is redeeming His people and this world. And then it means whatever else is going on, if our hope is in Jesus Christ, it means that whatever else is going on, our commitment to God's house will not waver. Because that's where we go to offer up praises. That's where we go to gather with the body. That's where we go to find encouragement, fellowship, so forth and so on. And so we lead our families into an, uh, into, uh, into an uncertain future with hope and certainty in the things that really matter. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about leading and loving our wives the way that Christ loved the church, Psalm 23 really is a good, um, does provide a good model for some of these wisdom areas that you're going to be called to lead in and lead through. You don't have to be married to start thinking about this sort of thing. Um, I would dare say that most, if not every husband, knew exactly what I was talking about as I was going through each of these scenarios. And so may God bless you and may God bless me to be faithful to shepherd our wives the way that Christ shepherds the church. Let's pray. Father, um, we, uh, we thank you for your word and, and Lord, we, uh, uh, we confess that as we uh, consider uh, the way that you shepherd your people, uh, that we need your help. Uh, we need your help not to be selfish. Lord, we need your help not to be lazy. Uh, we need your help not to be distracted. Uh, Lord, we need your help um, 
not to uh, just be overwhelmed. And so I pray, Lord, for every man here, I pray that you would bless us uh, to strive to be the husbands that you've called us to be and that we would lean on you for the strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.